All right, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, uh, we thank you uh, for giving us this time together to be edified by your word. Uh, help us to think more clearly and deeply about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, open our minds and our hearts that we might embrace all that you have for us this morning. Uh, in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Uh, remember what we've been talking about. We're, we're trying to focus on what went wrong. Uh, again, as those made to bear the generous image, we were created to reflect back the generous character of our Lord. Uh, but we've never uh, come to realize our full potential because something terribly wrong has taken place. Uh, the image of God within us uh, is now marred. Uh, it is full of corruption. Uh, in our previous lesson, we saw the brokenness of the mind. Uh, we looked at how the mind has become bent into a scarcity mindset. Uh, instead of having a generous and abundant mindset, the human mind thinks now in terms of self-preservation. Uh, with a scarcity mindset, uh, we become the center of our universe. Uh, in other words, it has made us incredibly selfish. Uh, like Cain, uh, we see our brother, that is our fellow human beings, as someone encroaching our territory. And so we concluded that a scarcity mindset leads to death, not prosperity. Uh, but ultimately, this mindset is about a fundamental distrust of God's own generosity. Uh, so that uh, was the corruption of uh, humankind's mind. And so we have two more aspects of the image of God to cover, our heart and our strength. Uh, what went wrong with those? Again, we can make various distinctions, but we can't ultimately separate them. Uh, the various aspects of the image are meant, um, are not meant to be mutually exclusive. Uh, the brokenness of one is always projected onto the others. In other words, as we look at the brokenness of our hearts, it, is, uh, it also speaks to the brokenness of our mind and our strength. And so this morning, this morning's lesson uh, is about what went wrong with the human uh, heart. Why our heart now is governed by scarcity rather than abundance. Or to put it differently, uh, why our love is so closed in and so small? Uh, shouldn't it be constantly enlarging as we reflect God's own heart? Uh, I think for one thing, uh, we see this type of self-love promoted everywhere in our, in our culture. Our culture is a place uh, where love means you make me happy. You do things to make me happy. Uh, so with that, I want us to wrestle with this idea this morning. Uh, here's our big point. Uh, it's simply this. The fall of humankind left us with a heart that jettisons the generous love of God and intimacy with one another. Uh, the fall of humankind left us with a heart that jettisons the generous love of God and intimacy with one another. 
I said last time um, we would go back to the Garden of Eden uh, because it's really there where the unraveling of love begins. Uh, and it's not only the origin, but, the, but that old story continues to shape us. That story extends outside of that garden and it continues to plague us still. Uh, it's not only then, it's only then uh, do we get a fuller picture of what's going on in our own hearts. Uh, so we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, there in the middle of the garden are, are Adam and Eve and with them the cunning and shrewd serpent. Uh, let's start uh, with the serpent uh, approaching Eve uh, to have a conversation. Uh, the serpent asserts a bold-faced lie, uh, but the, uh, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows uh, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good um, and evil. Uh, if I could translate that, the serpent is saying to Eve, you know, God is selfish. He doesn't really love you that much. He loves himself. He's keeping something from you. Uh, from there, Eve uh, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And she told, uh, she told of it, uh, of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Uh, Eve was deceived, uh, not Adam, uh, by the shrewdness of the serpent. Uh, Paul says that in 1 Timothy, where he says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. I mean, I can't argue with Paul, uh, but as much blame as we project on Eve, there's something incredibly telling about Adam's silence. Uh, he doesn't speak up for his wife. In fact, he's probably next to her, uh, yet he allows the serpent to entice her, and he himself is enticed. Uh, people have suggested that uh, Eve uh, persuaded and seduced Adam into eating, uh, but it's just not there in the narrative. He, he takes freely along with her. He's a willing participant. Um, but he should have done something. His, his silence was his guilt. Uh, Adam should have been there to rescue and protect Eve. Uh, but what we see is negligence on Adam's part. Uh, already we see unfaithfulness at work in Adam's silence. Uh, I mean, what is that but not loving his wife? Love pursues the good of others, especially those closest to you. Uh, in a sense, Adam failed to love himself because Adam and Eve were one flesh. She was, after all, taken from his side. Uh, yet he fails to love her by not protecting her. And so, fails to love himself. Uh, it reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians 5, right? However, where he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Adam failed to do that. Uh, so he is as much, if not more, to blame for the transgression uh, as Eve was. In fact, the Bible consistently makes the point 
that it was Adam's sin that brought the world into ruin. Uh, let me just point out two places where this is really clear, and they're both from Paul. Paul says in Romans 5, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, uh, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Uh, and, and there's this parallel passage from 1 Corinthians 15. He says, uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, death is accredited to Adam, not Eve. Uh, he's responsible. His sin is counted as ours. His failure, his failure to love is counted to us. Uh, but what happened after they ate? Uh, they all of a sudden became aware that they were naked. I mean, did they not realize they had no clothes on before they ate? Uh, I mean, clearly, that's not what's going on. Uh, their nakedness has become a source of shame for them. Uh, walking around in the garden naked is over. You know, they don't have that freedom anymore. They now, um, being naked is a dishonor. Uh, this is why people... Uh, don't walk around naked in public. There's something intuitively shameful about it. Uh, this is why it says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Uh, and as soon as the Lord God comes to the garden to check up on them, asking, where are you? That's a very prominent question that we find in the Bible after great sin is performed. Uh, the man and the woman hide like little children. Uh, you see, when love is broken, it begins the process of running. Uh, when love is governed by scarcity, it makes us find ways to hide ourselves. We find ways to cover our shame. Uh, I think that's what's going on here. Uh, John puts it this way. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Uh, it's the picture of love going from abundance to scarcity. Uh, scarcity makes us love the darkness and hate the light because it exposes our failure to love God and our, neighbor, and our neighbors. Uh, and not only that, but it shows our distrust in God that he will not love us uh, despite of our sin. And so we run and we hide. Uh, but let's not stop there. Uh, let's see what happens next to Adam and Eve. Uh, the Lord comes and he wants to know what happened. Why did they eat from the tree that he specifically told them not to eat from? Uh, and notice too, God came looking for them, not the other way around. Uh, so, uh, can someone uh, give us a summary of Adam's and Eve's response to God? I'll go ahead and unmute everybody. Elena, are you pointing to Dave? Yeah, I, I, it, his fault, her fault. <laughs> I, I figured he'd point back at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a good summary, right? 
just pointing finger. Uh, I don't know where my wife is, but I'll point at her over there. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and meet everybody. Does anybody else have any comments before we move on? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. Okay, so for the first time, they're afraid. Uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself, Adam says. Uh, what's strange about Adam's response? Uh, well, it's as if he's alone, as if his wife wasn't even there. I heard, I was afraid, I hid. It's not we, it's me. Uh, right there, you could tell what this is going to be all about. It's about self-defense. It's about self-justification. I'm on the judgment seat. I better have a good alibi. I better have a good excuse for what just happened. Um, in, in essence, or in short, in summary, Adam and Eve play the blame game. Uh, by the way, uh, God goes to the man first. If something went wrong, it's his head first. Uh, no wonder the Bible puts the blame squarely on Adam, right? Um, but anyway, Adam blames Eve for eating. The woman whom you gave me, uh, gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit from, uh, of the tree and I ate. Uh, okay, he blames the woman, uh, but it's not only the woman that Adam is blaming, is it? He's also putting the blame on God's feet. It's your fault, God. You gave me this woman and she made me eat. Uh, but instead of rebuking Adam, uh, God uh, kind of brushes it off, is silent with Adam and, and goes and, and begins to question Eve. What is this that you have done, right? Uh, of course, Eve is unwilling to take the blame. Uh, she too is on the defensive. She's um, she's trying to defend herself. Uh, this is about self-justification. Uh, she tells the Lord, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, I really think she's essentially doing the same thing that Adam just did. Uh, she's not only putting the blame on the serpent, but also uh, onto God. Well, why do I think this? Because hasn't God created everything, including that slippery snake that's in the garden? Uh, God, you must have put it in there and it made me eat. Uh, so on both accounts, there is no ownership of sin. Rather than confessing and repenting, they put God's love on the stand. Now he's on the judgment seat. Uh, so what's What's the net result of all of this? Well, the result is that the serpent destroyed this covenantal bond union between God and man. And so no longer are they tied by a bond of love, but now God and man are estranged with hostility and enmity towards one another. Uh, and even more, it has made us estranged from one another, constantly blaming uh, each other for our shortcomings. Uh, can you think of any other biblical stories that proceed from this scarcity of love, 
where love is self-enclosed and now operates out of estrangement rather than harmony, fellowship, and sacrifice. I'll go ahead and unmute everybody. Can anybody think of a story in the Bible where uh, similar things are happening? The sons of Israel. The sons of Israel. The sons of Israel. Uh, why don't you explain that, Caleb? Coat of many colors. Um, they were jealous of their uh, brother. That's good. <coughs> why were they jealous? Not enough love to go around. I guess they thought uh, their father loved uh, their brother the, you know, the most or more. Yeah. I mean, uh, if we can get behind that, we, you can say, well, their father loved Joseph, but at the same time, they weren't trusting that the Lord loves them that the Lord's love is sufficient for them, right? So there's that scarcity of love uh, going on behind their betrayal of their brother. Uh, does anybody else have, um, have a story in mind where something like this goes on? Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. Yeah, we can keep like going down the line and and I, I want you to see that, you know, uh, that, that aspect of, of human love being broken as, as it unfolds in biblical, uh, the biblical narrative. It, it's really everywhere, right? And it culminates, uh, cul um, culminates in, in the crucifixion, right? Where the religious leaders um, are convinced that this man is trying to take away um, something of, of God's love from us, that it's insufficient. Sorry, my son is crying. Um, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and mute everyone if there's no further comments. Yeah, I, I think uh, that every consequent story in the Bible operates in one way or another with this scarcity of love. Uh, on one level or another, people in scripture demonstrate a propensity for self-love and self-justification. Um, uh, somebody mentioned this. We, we, could, we probably could revisit the Cain and Abel story. Uh, we see it at work with, with, within Cain. Uh, God loves, doesn't love me. He's not generous. Uh, with Cain, we see a man on the run towards darkness uh, because he believes that God's love is scarce, that it's insufficient. Uh, but let's go to the David and Bathsheba story uh, and camp out there for a little bit. Uh, turn with me to uh, 2 Samuel 11. I, I, I mean, I won't read that whole passage or anything, but uh, but th that's where the story is, if you want to look. I, I think in this story, we encounter uh, this shortage of love attitude or disposition at work uh, more clearly. Uh, you know 
you know how they say that love makes us do crazy things? Well, living with a scarcity of love makes us do even crazier things, uh, just not in a good way. Uh, so David, after a day of taking it easy, that's, that's the, I, I think the, the mood of the narrative, he's kind of chilling out in his palace. Uh, well, he gets up during the night and takes a walk on the roof. Uh, and what is, does he see from the height of his palace? Uh, the narrative really wants us to see that David is in the position of looking down. He's up on top of his palace, uh, probably suggesting, you know, this pride uh, in his heart uh, now that he's king, right? He's in this high position. Um, but what, what do we see from his place of pride? Uh, what does he see, right? He sees Bathsheba, uh, a very beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. Uh, Bathsheba bathing. Uh, anyways, um, David begins to lust uh, after her. Uh, I want you to remember that. Lust is one of the outworking of having scarcity of love in our hearts. David begins to chase Bathsheba. Uh, the closer he gets to her, the further his heart uh, gets from the Lord. Uh, he goes ahead and asks people about her. Uh, he, he learns that she's married to Uriah the Hittite. Uh, but David's judgment is given to the lust, is given over to the lust of his heart at this point. Uh, he takes Bathsheba uh, despite knowing that she's married, uh, which ultimately leads to what? It leads to... Um, David murdering Uriah. Uh, what's going on in David's heart? Well, God must not be all that generous. His love for me must not be enough. I need more. Uh, and there's this woman to satisfy my craving. Uh, isn't that exactly the problem in the Garden of Eden? Eve and Adam are lusting for more because they are convinced that God's generosity, his love is insufficient. They need more. Uh, so for David, it wasn't enough that God loves him. Uh, God even led him to the throne. Uh, but David uh, had to take more for himself. Uh, David's scarcity of love uh, uh, actions lead um, to the widowhood of Bathsheba, and it led to the death of her husband. A selfish, lustful kind of love always leads to death. Uh, that's what we learned from David's heinous sins, right? And that's what we learned also from the garden. Uh, as we've seen last time, uh, when the image of God is marred and we can't trust God to be generous, it doesn't only affect us as individuals, but it also affects a whole community. A whole people can, can take on this scarcity of love belief. They can together embody a selfish love. Uh, so think about the history of Israel. Uh, in them, we encounter a whole people questioning the love of God even right after God delivers them from their slavery, from their bondage from Egypt. Uh, I mean, after an incredible act of love, a whole people failed to love God in return. 
because God's love wasn't enough for them. Uh, so what do they go and do when their leader, Moses, was taking too long up on the, up on the mountain? Uh, while Moses is up on the mountain, Aaron helps the people make a golden calf. Uh, the people collectively replace the Lord with an idol. Uh, maybe this thing that we've made with our own hands will be more generous than the God of Moses. Uh, I mean, who knows if that dude will even come back anyways. Uh, let me ask this question. Uh, what's idolatry according to the Bible? What's the essence of idolatry? Why is it so heinous in the sight of the Lord? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Loving something else before the Lord. Loving something else before the Lord. Absolutely. Anybody else? What, what are some of the idols that we wrestle with? I mean, I think most of us don't, don't you know, carve out golden calves for ourselves. Money. Calvin said that uh, the heart of man is an idol factory. We, we make idols out of almost anything that's in front of us. Hmm. Like what? In my golden time. I, I want my time. My time. That's that's really good, Anne. I think I think the intellect, the mind, could definitely be one of those too. Knowledge. Yeah. Why are we attracted to the mind, and and end up treating it as an idol? What is it about the mind? What was that? Yeah, I, I think uh, the more for for a lot of us, the more we know, the bigger our heads get, and the bigger our pride is getting. Right, and and that's that's really what's so attractive about intelligence and the mind is that it it it's feeding into our pride, right? And the more pride we have, the less room we have to, um, to, to see the Lord and to submit to him. And the more we will, we will treat him as if, as if his, his generosity is not enough. Uh, is there any other thoughts on idolatry before we move on? Love can be an idol, as we're talking about right now. You say love? Yes. What, what do you mean by that, Cheyenne? Meaning that you can become, you're not relying on the love of God. Like, look at David. He wasn't happy with God He lusted after Bathsheba. And so love turns into, your idolizing love turns into, like lust into not relying on um, God at all. Yeah. Kind of, kind of off, going off of what Cheyenne just said too, I think that we can develop a reliance on love and or approval from other people that we're not actually seeking it from the Lord. Yeah. 
it makes me think of the conversation we had the other day when you guys dropped off dinner. Thank you again, by the way. It was awesome. Um, welcome, but, right? but behind our idea of scarcity is, is integrity, right? <laughs> Believing that we're missing something, that we're not whole, right? And that's what idolatry is. It's seeking to, you know, as it's been said, fill that God-shaped hole with, with anything else, um, glorifying, exalting all these other things um, where the Lord has meant for himself to be. Yeah, in knowledge good. in, you know, in um, our desires, obviously, in our willing, in our actions, you know. Yeah. That's good. I think we, we see that. I mean, I've seen it a lot in, in the church. You know, um, I've seen believers go off and, and, and start relationships with unbelievers and that's very attractive, right? I have somebody now to to share to share my life with, and and they end up walking away from the faith because, well, God's love, you know, who needs that? I have something else, right? And I think um, we we need to be we need to be on guard with this. Uh, illicit type of love when we when we end up putting uh, like good things relationships are good but when we start putting such relationships over the Lord it becomes very dangerous for us okay I'm gonna go ahead and 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 mute everybody and and move to our next section Uh, idolatry is spiritual adultery, according to the scriptures. Uh, those who trust in images made in their own uh, likeness are essentially turning to different lovers, right? I think that's what Will was saying earlier. And, and so in Israel, we find a whole group of people turning to other lovers. Uh, idolatry really is diametrically opposed to God's generous love because it's to say that his love is not enough. We need something else to fill that gap. Uh, that's the long history of Israel. They continually had love affairs with other gods, persistently breaking the Lord's heart. Uh, we get a glimpse of the Lord's pain um, from this spiritual idolatry um, best, I think, in the book of Hosea, where God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute uh, who, who becomes a figure of Israel's own unfaithfulness, Israel's own spiritual adultery against the Lord. Uh, but of course, it's not only uh, Old Testament Israel that was plagued by idolatry. Uh, the people of God continue to wrestle with, sp uh, with spiritual adultery. Uh, we'll get to this point, uh, Lord willing, in our series on James. Uh, in chapter 4, James rebukes those in the community of faith uh, that have become friends with the world, uh, where he says, you adulterous people, and notice that, adulterous people, uh, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Uh, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, 
he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Uh, for James, then, friendship or love for the world is adultery. Um, what, what is that but idolatry, right? Having, becoming good friends and loving the world is idolatry. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that the world is vying for our friendship. Uh, it's vying for our love and affection. Because like the serpent in the garden, it wants to draw us away from the Lord. It wants us to believe that God's love is not abundant, that his love is scarce, uh, that it will not be enough for us. Okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pause there before we move on to our last section. Are there any questions or comments? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everybody. Questions, comments, rebuttals? Okay, since there are no, no comments, I'll go ahead and mute everybody. Okay, what we want to do now is apply this to our own life and community. Uh, how do we personally, as individuals and as the corporate body, operate or behave when we assume that love is scarce? How does it, in other words, affect our relationships? Uh, let me close with two reflections on this matter. Uh, I think one, it produces shallow relationships, if at all. Uh, and two, it ruins relationships that we, we do have already. Uh, why? Uh, because when we think that God's love is not enough and that we are lacking, uh, we become self-enclosed, uh, not only towards God, but to each other as well. Uh, what this means is that opening up to each other is now a most difficult undertaking. It's a difficult thing to do um, when we operate with this kind of love. It's that whole C.S. Lewis thing, to love is to be vulnerable. Uh, when we can't be truly vulnerable and open with one another, our relationships will always, always remain shallow. Uh, how many of us are starving for deeper and lasting relationships uh, but can't seem to make it work? Uh, it's because scarcity makes us afraid to love. Scarcity makes us pull back in the fear of being hurt. Uh, that somehow we will not be loved in return, uh, that we, we will miss out on love. Uh, but what if we loved people because God has first generously loved us, right? First John 4.19. What if we learn more and more to love one another out of the abundance of God's love rather than uh, our fear of scarcity? Uh, then I think our relationships and our community would be turned upside down. I mean, don't you? But not only will our relationships stay in the shallow end of the pool, but the ones we do have 
will be broken if our love is rooted in scarcity. Uh, I think most preeminently of our marriages in the church. Uh, far too many marriages are built on a scarcity kind of love uh, where it becomes about what others can do for me. Uh, there are many people who enter marriage, uh, even in the church, right? Thinking that it's about me and what others can do for me. Um, but what happens when things don't seem to be going that way? Uh, when the other person is more selfish than we've dared imagine? Uh, spouses begin to entertain lust uh, like David. They see an opportunity to fill what they think is missing from an illicit source. Uh, this is why people are addicted to pornography or, or even just simply fantasizing about other people. Uh, of course, this isn't just a marriage problem, is it? It's a human problem because lust is rooted in the belief that God doesn't love us enough. Um, and even more, this sense of not having enough uh, leads to where? Uh, it leads to adultery. Uh, someone once told me that someone told them, stay with me, uh, that the reason they cheated on their, on their wife was because they were too sexual. That is absolutely crazy, right? The reason spouses cheat is not because they are lacking. They cheat because they don't believe in the generous love of God, that he is abundant, that in him they have love in abundance. Uh, it ultimately boils down to unbelief in the generosity of God. Uh, I think ultimately uh, it leads to a severing of the marriage. Uh, far too many marriages, uh, even in the church, end because many of us operate out of a scarcity of love. Uh, beloved, we need a love big enough to sustain us. When it feels like we won't have enough, uh, let us listen again. Uh, let us not listen again to the serpent, that God is not generous in his love. For the reality is God's love is far more abundant, abundant than we can ever imagine. Um, does anyone have any final questions or comments uh, before we end in prayer? Go ahead and unmute everybody. Do you guys, do you guys see any of this? Um, in, in your own kind of like experience in, in your own lives or, or, or in the church? I know I talked a lot about marriage, uh, but is, are there any other relationships or, or things that you might be thinking of? This has made me <clears throat> sort of reflect on how sin usually takes something that is good, right? And, and dis distorts it. Mm -hmm. And I think a subtle way that this creeps into relationships amongst fellow believers, saints, brothers, sisters, mm -hmm. is um, if you ever get into this mindset of needing that relationship. I 
need you to X, Y, Z, show up, do this, do that, right? Uh, it's a subtle way of what you're saying, I think, of doing something that, that I want you to do. Um, but I think the seed of it is, is I need this person uh, and rather than having God fill that role, right? I think what you're saying is, is awesome and super encouraging that we should be striving to pour into these relationships out of an ab abundance, not because we we're dependent on them because we should be dependent upon Christ. And I think that's, it's just reflecting. That's a subtle way that I think this sneaks in is that, well, I need you to do this. You know, I need you to be here. I need this friend. I need this time with this guy, you know? Um, and it's like, really, uh, you shouldn't need them, right? You should be pouring into them out of abundance. That's just something I was thinking about. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I, I think when we do operate out of the abundance of the Lord, our relationships will actually flourish because that's where our freedom lies, right? I don't, like, I don't ultimately need this other person, but because I'm already... I already have the abundant love of the Lord. I can pour out to the other person where it isn't just always about what they can do for me, but it is my actions becoming a reflection of that abundance that I already have. I don't know if that made sense, but. Uh, does anybody else have any um, reflection? Before well, I in prayer? I I would like to add, I think that it's important to recognize that we do have needs, but we, like Charlie was saying, we need to run to Jesus or to look to God to fill those needs instead of another person or a relationship or a thing, because we need to be filled before we can give out. Yeah, good. All right, uh, 10.45, let me go ahead and mute everybody. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, and then uh, we can prepare for worship. Uh, let's pray. Our, our most merciful and generous Father, uh, we give you the honor and praise for sharing yourself with us, for being generous in knowledge, love, and rule. Uh, that we might know you and reflect who you are to this broken world. Uh, we pray all of this in the triune name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.